people they seem to live this like utopia where whereby artificial intelligence will deliver economic growth and that will solve everybody's problems but they also at the same time they also say yeah a lot of people will lose their jobs what are we going to do with them we don't have policies in place for that this is the ERP Organizational Change Journal podcast, brought to you by Nestle & Associates, a Newport Beach, California-based ERP organizational change management firm serving the private equity industry. The ERP OCJ seeks to share expertise, insight, experience, and research, and to create effective conversation to help guide ERP organizational change to real, measurable, and verified success. And now, here's your ERP expert and host, the founder of Nestle & Associates, Dr. Jack Nestle. Hello everyone, Jack here. Today we explore the impact of AI on business systems in general, and ERP and financial software specifically, and on organizational change, focusing on ethical implications, innovation, and governance. Our expert guest shares valuable insights on AI-driven transformation, risk, and best practices, providing valuable guidance for private equity firms, portfolio companies, and stakeholders involved in ERP organizational change. We are grateful to have you join us today to learn how AI is revolutionizing enterprise resource planning and shaping the future of business systems. Our guest today is Clara DeRodi. Clara is an expert in AI governance, fintech, and digital transformation with over 25 years of experience in financial technology and finance. A senior trusted advisor to management teams, board of directors, and private equity firms, our guest is the founder and CEO of Cognitive Finance Group, author of the book Decoding AI and Financial Services, and the host of Decoding AI podcast. A sought-after speaker and thought leader, Clara brings deep expertise and valuable insights to today's conversation. Joining us from London, England, Clara, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to sharing out your expertise so thank you so much for joining us today. But Clara, before we get started, can you tell our listeners more about yourself? Yes. So my background is asset and wealth management. I, um, I spent a lot of time in European uh, space. And as early as 2010, somehow my deep roots in financial technology started to come to the fore. And I started to, to realize that actually our industry is on the cusp of some dramatic change. And that's back in the day, I used to call it intelligent automation. And I even went to my board to convince them in 2011 that uh, we needed to invest in this type of intelligent automation, primarily for, for back office work. And um, obviously, I was so ahead of everybody. It's just like, it was ridiculous. Um, no one would even consider this kind of conversation. I, and I remember I even said, uh, this technology is called artificial intelligence. And I was just like, everybody looked at me as if I had like 200 hands and 1,000 <laughs> eyes. Um, so I went back to my box, did what I was supposed to do in terms of um, signing off different uh, software, which at the time were the the norm in our industry. Um, and then in 2014, I decided I'm going to go for it. And um, so I resigned. I took up Python courses. I learned how to code. 
And um, I was very keen to do a PhD. And again, uh, the story of my life, I went to um, leading universities in the UK and I said, I, I want to do a PhD at the intersection of artificial intelligence, neuroscience and AI. And uh, they all said, no, what's that? It's too complicated. We don't know what you want from us. No one has ever asked us this. And uh, at that point, I said, fine, the PhD is not meant to happen. And uh, I founded uh, Cognitive Finance Group, which is a data science and AI uh, research company specialized in the business and governance of AI and financial services. So that's the story and everything else, it's history. I uh, published the first book on AI for non-technology leaders. And um, yeah, started speaking around the globe, uh, spreading the word about how this technology actually will change everything in our space. Well, thank you, Clara, for that. I appreciate it. And I'm really honored to have this conversation with you and share your your expert knowledge in this field of AI. I know you have a tremendous wealth of knowledge and experience and expertise in this area. Uh, so thank you so much for that. And, it, and it's certainly an area of extreme interest for all of us at Nestle and Associates, as we do recognize, as you just alluded to, we, we certainly recognize the profound impact AI will have on ERP systems and organizational change in business systems. So uh, we really appreciate the opportunity to, to learn from you today and, and to share your expertise and insight with our listeners. Well, it's it's my pleasure. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. It's going to be a, a fun conversation to have. Absolutely. Listeners, all of us here at the ERP OCJ hope you find this podcast useful as we share lessons learned, discover best practices, and explore the human element components of ERP organizational change. Please stay with us till the end. Clara will give us her actionable golden nugget of advice based on today's conversation, and I will recap today's key discoveries with Clara and offer my suggestions on how to implement what we've learned. Our conversations here on the ERP OCJ are built around the listen and learn approach, but it's when you apply what you've learned that you begin to move the needle forward. So let's dive in. Okay, Clara. So I have three segments that I'd like to ask you two or three questions on each one in today's conversations. Um, but the first one is is really in regards to the ethical implications of AI and ERP and business systems. And that is, what are some of the ethical considerations that organizations should keep in mind when implementing AI in their business systems? And you know, certainly uh, there, there's AI that does exist in ERP systems currently, but we're not even in a, in, you know, we're just getting started here. But what would you say are some of the ethical considerations that organizations should consider? I think they, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel, um, but it suffice to say that uh, there there are different ethical AI principles produced by different organizations. There are multiple, just like the AI researchers can't agree on a definition of AI. Pretty much the AI ethics community can't agree on what is absolutely essential uh, to define ethics. But from a business standpoint, because to me, this is what actually it's, it moves the needle and it's relevant, is how do you take this ethical principles and actually apply them in real life companies to real life people, to uh, dealing with real life problems? Um, so I think one of the core principle one needs to, to bear in mind is this particular question. How is this piece of tech going to impact my customers? Am I fair? Is it going to produce a, an outcome that will look after my customers or will manipulate my customers? Um, 
how can I fix it now? Um, if I'm aware of it at the procurement, if I'm buying the software from somebody else at the procurement point, can I ensure that the system can be fixed as we go along? Or do I need to retire it in order to, to have it replaced with a, a better, improved version? So I think these are basic approaches to practical approaches to anything to do with AI adoption in the enterprise. Um, there are a lot of uh, frameworks. We have uh, specialist frameworks for portfolio companies in uh, private equity. We have specialist frameworks for uh, banks, for instance, uh, specialist frameworks for fintechs when it comes to ethical AI adoption. But I think this principle, it's very easy for people to remember this. At a point of either production or procurement, one needs to ask these questions, you know, how am I making sure that this piece of tech I'm bringing in into my business system, my business processes, how is it going to impact everything else I'm going to do? Is it fair? Am I going to stand the, the, the test of scrutiny of three years down the line? What are my blind spots? And again, on the blind spots, I can't stress enough how strong groupthink is. Um, and one needs to make a concerted effort to break that groupthink and always start from the premise that if I do what everybody else does without putting it through, the ju through my own lenses of judgment and evaluation, I might end up in the same hot water if everybody else ends up in that place, I might end up in the same place. So what I'm encouraging people is to dive in and be deliberate about trying to find uh, blind spots in their judgment or evaluation systems of technology. There are dedicated companies which do a superb job to audit algorithms, to evaluate them at the point of procurement. But when we employ this suppliers, we need to make sure that we ask the whys and the whats and the hows to the point where we exhaust uh, pretty much every single possible blind spot. Why am I saying this? So it's not a good internal processes uh, hygiene. It's not only a good uh, sort of intellectual exercise to ensure that we don't stay in groupthink. And from a regulatory perspective, if we demonstrate that we went beyond what was expected of us to do in terms of evaluating risks in the systems, and we did thorough judgment over the processes of procuring them or deploying them or maintaining them, then it's every single regulatory system in the world would protect those people who've gone this far to ensure that they can uncover the, the blind spots. This is important. Why? We are approaching very fast an environment where AI regulations will be upon us and will be part of the regulatory regime in which we build, uh, deploy, and maintain this technology. We have big piece of regulations coming from European Union, which will affect everybody pretty much like GDPR affected everybody across other jurisdictions. But we have global movements into the space where there is a awakening, a global consciousness awakening around the dangers and the risks this technology poses. So regulations 
of these systems will arrive. So instead of waiting for the regulations to arrive, one needs to be proactive and and use the current uh, legislation that is in place and make sure they go the extra mile to ask this uh, additional whys, hows, and uh, what's so they they ensure that they they know what they're bringing in. So it, it's very very important to have this kind of thinking. That's just fascinating, Clara. Thank you for that. And you know this idea of having ethical AI principles from a business standpoint, I, I think is crucial. And I think this is the time that the businesses and private equity firms and their portfolio companies need to consider that. And you talk about how is this piece of tech AI going to impact my customers? You know, is it fair and, and honest to your customers as being a critical principle of, of ethical AI? You know, you've discussed your specialized frameworks for AI adoption. And I, I think what you're saying is at the core of these frameworks, there has to be this idea of and just asking the question of, you know, how does it how does AI impact the test of scrutiny and being deliberate about groupthink and blind spots? And especially from a regulatory perspective, you know, it, it's not just a checklist, right? It's, it's not just something you do so you can you know, say, hey, we went through that exercise. It requires true deliberation and, and really in a world of wild, wild west of AI with upcoming AI regulations. And I think what you're sharing with our listeners is just this idea of creating these, these AI principles, being very deliberate, establishing your frameworks, and really treating it as a pretty critical aspect of business. Was that a Absolutely. fair summary? Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's um, exactly my thoughts. And what is important to remember is that I think there are two, two pieces of directions to, to remember. Obviously, this ethical principles and frameworks, are there's never a, a sort of a set in stone framework. Mm-hmm. You, you can't go and outsource and, and say, I've done my job, that's it, because I went to uh, this supplier of um, algorithmic auditing and um, they said, use this and we did that and we're good. Um, I think the regulators, even today, even to this day, when we don't actually have explicit AI regulations in place, the regulators uh, want to see that there is a deliberate thinking in as to how this technology is adopted. Mm-hmm. But obviously, that's from a consumer point of view. Um, and for instance, this week, uh, Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, the gentleman who runs it, he went on record to say, and I'm quoting him, one of the things we're trying to make crystal clear is that if companies don't even understand how their AI is making decisions, they can't really use it. And this comes after a, a chain of fines they put out there on companies which actually they use this technology without even actually what they're knowing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So you see, this is an example of, of where deliberate thinking of how technology is being deployed, it's important. So this is from a consumer perspective, but from a business standpoint perspective and business strategy perspective, one is to, to look at this technology and understand that whatever this technology will touch in terms of business process, it'll change. And currently, companies are designed to have business processes designed for for humans to perform them. But now we are having what I call a digital workforce. So the the business processes will be redesigned 
to match this digital workforce and the nature and the 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 structure of those processes will be changed accordingly and that's a different world uh that's a different type of process and Ultimately, at the end of the entire journey, if you look at every single business process in an organization being changed to match the digital workforce doing it, at the end of it, you will find a completely new business model, a completely new operational model, profitability model, and ultimately a different business strategy. Mm. So it's, again, critical thinking, intellectual curiosity, these are skills which we have to have them embedded alongside with everything else we do in terms of day-to-day business, because at the end of the day, that is the success of a digital transformation. Yeah, absolutely. So Clara, when we talk about this process of understanding AI principles within your organization, and utilizing and, and I guess establishing a framework for AI adoption and then being deliberate about that, whether it's a business or a consumer perspective, then how can companies ensure that they're using AI ethically in their ERP and organizational change processes or business systems in general? You know, so we've established the framework, we're deliberate about it, you know, we have this process. But what's kind of that proof in the pudding or metrics or, or is there such a thing at this point where we can say, hey, yeah, we we can rest in confidence that we have the right principles, we have the right framework, and we're executing against those in the proper way? I'm, I'm going to share with you what I say to my clients, um, because I do get this question quite a lot. And I think I think there is only one big question to answer. And that, that's going to give you the, the answer to all of your subsequent questions pertaining to your specific business model. What the question is, would I like my family to be subjected to this piece of tech? That's the big question. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the answer is yes, that's pretty much one of the big hurdles overcome. So if you can comfortably and honestly answer the question, yes, I w- I'm, I'm very happy with my family being subjected to this kind of surveillance or this kind of background checking or this kind of alternative data collection or this testing or this product recommendation or uh, credit decisioning systems. Yeah, if the answer is yes, then that's a big, big hurdle out of the way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's interesting. So one key, let's call it a guide rail, is to constantly ask the question, even in the in a business context, right? Or from a consumer perspective, is would I subject my family uh, to this um, this way of doing business with AI? Yeah, knowing what I know about this technology, because yeah. I'm assuming by that by by this point, you've you've asked all the right questions, you've uncovered all the the blind spots. So you know what you what's happening, right? So I start from that premise. So the question is like, knowing what I know now, would I like my family to be subjected to this technology as a product? And obviously, I think this is a a key uh, question, not only from the consumer perspective, but also it puts the onus on you as a decision maker. When we think this way, we actually think and put the the whole society at the heart of our decisions and if every single business will be able to respond with a resounding yes 
I'm happy with this technology, then overall, I mean, the, the entire society will be on a different level of, of conversation around AI risks and governance. And most certainly, we wouldn't have panic moments uh, and headlines in the in the newspapers like we've been having for the past 48 hours or three days that AI is is going to exterminate uh, the human race. So <laughs> if we just like zoom in to our own business, to our own piece of everything we do and questions we ask and the, the job we do every day, it's actually the, the bigger job of looking after the society and after all these big risks, which by the way, they're not exaggerated. Um, because if we don't do anything to mitigate the current risks, we might end up in, in the predicament that this um, um, the, 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 this very large group of AI experts and scientists have put out there. So I'm, I'm a great believer that if we want to, to build the next billion dollar company, which will sustain digital transformation and all the doom and gloom of AI, um, we will need to build it as an ethical AI company. And yeah. mark my words, that is the business model which will be successful in the future. It's not going to be cutting corners. It's not going to be like, I'm going to do this and no one is going to find out. Well, everything is going to be found out eventually because data never forgets. I put it in my book as well. And people go like, well, what do you mean by that? I mean that every single process we run in a digital environment, um, it has a long-standing memory and we can always yeah. play back. And yeah. we can always see how the corners have been cut or the wrong decisions have been taken. And that's not a good place to be because Unfortunately, that's what it is. You know, it, it's a no second chance kind of uh, um, sort of predicament. So yeah. my submission to, to you today, and in particular to uh, the private equity community, because obviously they invest in, in these companies, it's as from an investor's point of view, it is cheaper, no headaches, no regulatory fines, if Every single company is just following this basic rules of like doing the right thing and making sure that we build products which are confined within ethical principles. And it's cheaper to do that. Plus, it's a business case for this. And it's Absolutely. why am I saying it's cheaper? It's we ran an, um, an analysis, a, a specialist study, and we tried to identify how expensive it is or how much does it cost to fix a wrong algorithm or an incorrect or insufficiently uh, suitable AI model three years into live, into being used. So the conclusion we, we reached is that back in 2019, when we did this study, it would cost at least 1,000 times more to fix it. So essentially what I'm saying, for every dollar spent in production, one needs to spend $1,000 three years down the line to fix this algorithm. And this doesn't even include costs, uh, like regulatory costs, lawyers' costs, um, the specialist data science um, support to fix this. So, and not to mention that if you run with a uh, with an algorithm which is not the you know fine tuned for this ethical principles, when you get found out, 
the regulatory fines can be so big that actually you can be out of business. Um, yeah. And this is this is very possible. It just absolutely destroys your your company. So that's what I'm saying. It's it's cheaper to do the right thing from the beginning. And there are plenty of AI frameworks and principles out there, which can be then adjusted to individual companies' business models um, and business systems. And uh, plus, it's a it's a good business model. I mean, it brings profitability when companies and other uh, business partners or consumers know that they can trust you. They will come to you. They will want you to have their business. Uh, because in the age of AI, the value of trust has become so important. And I actually, I even have the slides and a photograph of one of my early public speaking keynotes, which I did in 2017 in Toronto, Canada, at the invitation of Cybos, which is a, a very important conference in the banking sphere. And that's what I said, we are enter entering in a space where, where trust will make it or break it and you can't walk it back because yeah. you have the records so ethical principles go for it is going to keep you out of trouble keep your your costs down and build trust with consumers what is not yeah. to like about that wow that's great insight and 1000 times more to fix issues i mean that's substantial and i think part of the concern is right is that there's uh th this idea the economics of it and being first to the market are i think major factors here right you've got these ai companies that want to be the first to the market with various innovations in terms of AI. And there's a lot of controversy and discussions around, you know, open AI, just get it out in the, in, you know, get it out in the world versus a little more controlled, you know, a little more controlled framework around AI. And, um, you know, obviously Elon Musk was calling for a six month hiatus just to put the whole AI world on pause. Uh, so we can take that step back and, and just really talk about these ideas that you're sharing today with our listeners. But, you know, it is when you think about it, there's the economic piece. There's the time, money and effort, right? The organizational capital to prevent issues from happening in the first place, you know, flaws in algorithms and so forth. But there's also the economics. I mean, if a company releases an AI tool and they haven't considered, uh, you know, some of these AI principles and these frameworks in terms of being deliberate in terms of ethical considerations and governance considerations and, you know, and that sort of thing. I, I mean, that could put a company out of business pretty quickly to yeah. introduce, you know, faulty AI, right? Because like you said, is at the end of the day, if you and myself and for our family's benefit, if I'm not comfortable and if I would not subject any of these AI advancements to my family, that's a, you know, that's a major, major issue. Well, just the only thing I'd say is this, this companies, they indeed release um, uh, this technology out there thinking that their family will never be affected. You know, like it's not possible, you know, they will be affected. They will be subjected to this. Um, mm -hmm. But it's um, for large organizations, the likes of Facebook, uh, which have just been handed down a $5 billion US dollars fine about three yeah. weeks ago on misuse of data and very complicated background. Uh, just because they didn't behave when they were told to behave, they continued to do what they were doing. So now they have $5 billion and obviously they're, they're trying to get out of that. Or uh, $25 million Amazon fine, uh, which was issued recently uh, simply because they, they've been using children's data 
uh, without consent uh, systematically over the years. So these things are coming to the fore eventually. That's my point. You know, like they might not be seen for five years or something, but they eventually they will come to the fore. They will come yeah. to the surface. And by the time all of this will come to the surface, we will have enough regulations to actually deal with this. Yeah. Having said that, there is even today there is enough regulation to uh, we don't need to invent re- pretty much like everything from scratch. Um, regulatory experts, they continue to repeat, but no one seems to listen to them or hear them. There is enough regulation at the moment to apply in order to ensure uh, proper governance of the systems. So um, uh, the, the, other, the other point I wanted to make is that uh, we have, obviously, we have this I would argue is like a a wrong narrative around uh, economic growth and artificial intelligence as if AI will magically unlock unheard of GDP growth like we've never seen in our lifetime. So uh, my submission is very simple. I mean, like just put that to rest because artificial intelligence, this technology amplifies the status quo. So if we are in a rut, it's going to get worse. So don't expect, don't expect that things will get better over time. Um, people, they seem to live this like utopia, where whereby artificial intelligence will deliver economic growth and that will solve everybody's problems. But they also, at the same time, they also say, yeah, a lot of people will lose their jobs. What are we going to do with them? We don't have policies in place for that. So the simple rule of thumb with deployment of AI, whether it's at the country level, whether it's at the uh, business level, unit level, whatever you have there, it will be amplified. If you have bias, if you have misjudgments, if you have all sorts of wrong decisions, they will be amplified. Or if you have good decisions, or if you have a working environment, that will be amplified too. So I think to when we deploy this technology, we need to think of, okay, how about I, I make the current interaction of my processes and systems and everything, what I've got work? How about I do that first? And I make yeah. sure where the problems are, well, you know, deal with those first. And then we deploy AI. Because at the end of the day, the premise is very simple. This technology is not some magic genie coming out of some sort of box knowing everything about us. No, it just looks at the data and makes inferences. And whatever you have, that's what I'm saying. It amplifies what you have because it looks at the data you have. That's the status quo of your business, of your premise. Um, As I said, as a country, as a unit, business unit, as a company, that's your data. And the system is Mm going to work with that data and it's going to make it worse or make it better. Absolutely. So Claire, do you think, you know, this idea of business units and organizations really taking the bull by the horn, so to speak, in terms of ethical AI principles and establishing a framework for AI adoption and just being really deliberate, you know, the the same ideas that we've talked about already is crucial because whether it's legal, regulatory or governmental policy, it doesn't always keep up with tech, right? You know, sometimes, like you said, especially with a new technology such as AI, and it is quite a bit of an unknown right now, a little bit of a wild, wild west. And certainly there's regulatory and, and governmental policies and so forth that are trying to build this framework around AI and its deployment. 
But do you agree or do you think rather that it is going to be a bit of a challenge where, you know, because sometimes let's say legal or regulatory compliance isn't established until after there's been issues, right? When those issues are discovered, like you mentioned before, maybe it's an algorithm that's something just that you discover three years down the road so that that the legal, regulatory, and governmental policy could lag behind the actual deployment of the AI technology. Does that question make sense? Yeah. Yes. So what what I would say about this is that from a business standpoint, you need to think what your strategy is, and technology follows strategy. Um, I've seen so many. I'd like I've seen more companies which they just deploy AI because it's the, it's a shiny new thing. Let's do it because if we don't, then we we're gonna go to the board and we're gonna tell them that we don't have any AI. And oh my God, you know that's the end of the world. Yeah. So everybody's just rushing to buy AI, invest in AI, partner with AI, you know, go and work with third party suppliers of AI just so they can have some AI because uh, the FOMO is like unbelievable at the moment. But what my submission is, is take a step back and think this way. And this is where companies systematically fail. Where do I want to go as a business? What, what do I want? Do I want to um, multiply the number of my customers? Do I want to reach new jurisdictions? What, what do I want to do? Fine. So I've decided I know what I want to do from a business perspective. Now, how am I going to implement that? What tools do I have in terms of technology tools and other tools that I have? What do I need to deliver on that objective? And then after you establish that, you go and start investing in the right AI systems. Uh, Once you've cleared and clean up all your processes and made sure that you're sitting on the correct status quo, then you deploy AI. But the majority of companies I've seen are companies which lead with technology and then they think, okay, so where are we going with this? What, What do we actually want to achieve? Overall, because it's not it's not just about as a lender, you know, I, I want to improve the way I, I don't know, I measure people's credit worthiness. It's not just that. I want to see how that one piece fits into the rest of the business as a business strategy and in the rest of the resources that I have as an organization. How do I plan for those and how do all these business systems come together? So that is the right sequence of approaching adoption of AI instead of, yeah, I'm going to do whatever. I'm just going to go and buy it and I'm going to have AI on this process, AI on that process. And then actually processes don't work together. You know, they don't just like there is no sync. Everything is adopted in silo format and the duplication level is very high, as we've seen in so many cases where the uh, adoption of AI has been duplicated even to 80% duplication rate across uh, global offices. So you see, we need to see where we want to go. And then depending on that, we pick the right tools. Because not everything is about AI. There are tools which are cheaper and more effective for the the processes we need. So that's if we manage to go through this thinking sequence, then we will reach most likely um, will reach the right decisions. In addition to that, as we go through these motions, 
to identify what technology is going to help us deliver on our business strategy, then in the process, we flush out the, the regulatory and the legal requirements that we have to put in place so that we end up with the right tools without breaking the law. Great explanation. Thank you for that, Clara. I would like to ask you a couple of questions, uh, just slightly switching gears on you here, but regarding AI driving innovation and growth in ERP. So how do you see AI transforming the way companies approach ERP and business systems in the coming years? I know that's a bit of a general question, but uh, how do you see AI transforming the way companies approach ERP or ERP organizational change in general? Okay, so on on this question, I'm, if I may narrow it down a little bit to making two observations. Mm-hmm. So the first one is to do with, as I said previously, to do with the business objectives, with the, what's the ultimate strategy, what do we want to achieve. So I think once we have that in place, we will be able to work out step by step every single process that will be impacted by this technology. My submission to you is that at the end of the whole digital transformation, I, I don't think there will be not even one single business process left untouched by this technology. So to answer your question, I think everything will be affected, impacted. It's down to the decision makers to know what questions to ask, to identify what the uh, direction of travel is and choose which one fits them. And finally, I think it's very important in the process to understand that we might be in a position where we need to reconfigure the way we operate entirely as a business. So the operational model will be completely redesigned um, and that will have deep implications on the profitability models. And I would not, from experience, I would not recommend going ahead with AI deployment without actually understanding how these changes interact with each other in what's the interplay. I hope I answered your question, which uh, oh, yeah. was quite generous. Yeah, I, no, that's great, Claire. I, I think that you know one of the things that here at Nestle and Associates we're very interested in is this idea of what we call the triad, right? And that's people, processes, and technology in the context of successful ERP organizational change. And I do think that AI uh, is going to have a profound effect on that relationship. And I think, you know, it's still, it's it's too early to say to what extent and how, um, just because I think it's still not understood on exactly what, you know, what the impact will be and how it will touch and change processes. And um, But it's just a fascinating uh, topic to be sure. And one that we've talked quite a bit about in the past and, and certainly will continue to discuss uh, on this podcast. Very I, interesting idea. I think on the on the people's point um, you, you just mentioned, I think I'd like to share with you one of my core held values about digital transformation. You'll achieve digital transformation at a faster rate if you invest in educating people, everybody from the board of director all the way down to the receptionist, I mean, everybody. And I've chosen this words deliberately based on experience, but also deliberately. Um, yes, the receptionist, everybody yeah. needs to un- become AI literate. AI literacy in organizations, Prima doesn't exist. 
it's um, until very recently was reserved to uh, centers of excellence. You must have heard like a, a lot of a lot of companies wanted to you know be no- innovative, embrace innovation, and they created a center of excellence. And by implication, meaning that whoever was not in the center of excellence, uh, they were not excellent. So yeah. they were like, N- yeah. Right. So I'm not a believer in this. Uh, and actually, I criticize it every time I, I get a chance. Um, why? Because as we deploy this technology, everybody will be excellent or will need to be excellent. Everybody will need to have this level of AI literacy to be able to understand how the systems operate and also pick up on various risks as they appear in at various points when you train an algorithm or when you procure it or when you maintain it. So if people are, have this level of AI literacy, and I don't mean by that, I don't mean um, coder level AI literacy, no, basic AI literacy, when everybody has this literacy, they will be able to understand how important it is to for everybody to come together and reconfigure business processes, find out where the risks are in places where you might not even think that risks might appear. So it actually, you build a very strong workforce when you educate everybody. And everybody becomes AI literate. So I'm a I'm a great believer that we need that. And unfortunately, we don't have it. And that's where we have so many misconceptions and misunderstandings. Because obviously, if not everybody understands what's happening, um, uh, then how can we possibly, you know, have a, a common ground of conversation? And and Claire, but doesn't that go back to uh, as well to your idea of establishing AI principles and a framework for AI adoption? Is you know that that's the sort of thing that needs to be baked into your AI adoption plan, right? Is this Absolutely. Idea of, but don't yeah. get me wrong. I'm like I, I had people who would come to me and say like, "What do you mean train the receptionist? I mean they don't need to be trained." And I said, "Well, you'd be surprised, actually." Yeah. You might find out that your receptionist is this 21-year-old just came out of university or maybe didn't even go to university, but actually they love data. And if you just give them the chance to to work and and you know get a little bit of training in AI basic, um, they they would might become your next member of your data science team. And I've seen, yeah. by the way, I'm not speaking from creating stuff. It's actually I know a case when a receptionist went from being a receptionist to actually becoming a very influential member of their data science team. And as a company, there is value in this. Because you just like you create this internal mobility, which enable people to move to places where, you know, it would cost you less to train your people, your current employees than to pay for outside talent. So this is on a few observations on on the the people side. But my submission is that as we go into this digital transformation, we need to think of creating a new department, uh, which would be called my title, I don't know if that's going to stay, digital resources. Just like we have human resources, um, we will have digital resources. And by that, I mean a congregation of AI algorithms, which will need to be managed, uh, will need to be trained, will need to be pretty much looked at 
as if they are the the digital equivalent of of the human capital that we have in an organization. And only then, when we will go to that place, you will see that things start making sense when it comes to adoption of AI. A sure thing, you know, when you hire somebody, you you go you have a set process of evaluating that candidate. Um, testing that candidate and then eventually signing a contract with them and making them your employee in the same way. We have to go through the same motions to recruit technology, deploy that technology and maintain it and keep it accountable. And that's very important. Keep that technology accountable because if we don't have it accountable, that's when the problems arise. Claire, can you share, obviously AI is relatively in its early stages in its infancy in terms of deployment. But can you share maybe some examples to put you on the spot of how AI has driven innovation and growth in ERP or business systems for organizations that you've worked with? I can give you an example of how a company used AI, a very, very simple form of AI system to predict default. So the question was like, okay, so I hear everybody wants AI. What are we going to do with AI? So... I, I thought to myself, like, how about we do this? Because you have a lot of data, you you have a large um, uh, loan book, so we can look at your loans and see who might be very likely, because we can predict that with a very high level of accuracy, um, who might be in the default position. And um, lo and behold, yes, we run that, and we identify a handful of people. We the bank uh, wrote to them. And something on the lines, uh, we are your bank, and we're writing to you to say that in case you need help, we're here for you. That's all it was. It was nothing else, you know, nothing very specific or um, complicated or like uh, wordsmithing requiring complex input. No. And the interesting response was that the default rate from what was predicted got reduced significantly, which is a win for any banks or any lenders, because that any default carries a cost to them. So predicting that default, preempting it, dealing with it, actually enabled people to say, well, hang on a minute, I'm actually I'm happy that the bank is on my side, the lender is on my side for once. What a breath of fresh air. And actually, long term, those customers who received that letter stayed on with the bank, and some of them ended up, you know, being very successful in their career, and you know, moving some of their funds to other departments of that bank, and actually staying and, you know, cross-selling, staying with the same supplier, with the same vendor, but just buying other services from them. So this is an example of how you can innovate. But actually looking after your customers and building that trust, which I sent, I mentioned to you earlier, that trust is we can build it or we can destroy it. Uh, just one line of uh, code, we can achieve that. So this is an example of how we can innovate and actually make a difference, build new business and build business that stays with us, customers that trust us. And they want to entrust more business to us over time. Uh, Claire, well, I would like to uh, ask you a couple of questions and maybe just dig a little bit deeper in terms of AI risk and governance and, and even geosecurity and ERP systems. Um, and so what are the major risks and challenges organizations face or could face uh, when implementing AI in their ERP systems specifically? And how could they mitigate those? 
Well, from from a security standpoint and geosecurity standpoint, I think I think there are two big group of uh, considerations. One is to do with obviously cybersecurity, and if you speak to any uh, cyber experts, they would tell you that the current architecture that we have built for the past few decades is actually not fit for purpose, and uh, we have quite a significant risk on our hands. Uh, so that that would be the the cybersecurity uh, predicaments of the current architecture, which companies need to pay very very close attention to. Another layer of the same consideration, uh, cybersecurity consideration, uh, rests with the redefinition of cyber attacks since the launch of more yeah. advanced forms of large language models, which carry the possibility of finding their own way to, to break uh, encryption on their own and break code and make sure that you know they achieve the, the optimization of their target if the target is set to break the security of, say, a bank or a large institution or even a small institution. So this is the first group of consideration to look at. So this is the cybersecurity. The second big consideration is what I call the prerequisites for AI. And under this group, um, we have things like data. Uh, where do we get it? How do we maintain it? How do we clean it? Uh, what kind of data do we keep on? Some data is not wise to keep it on, primarily biometric data, for instance, that would be an example. So it's to do with your data strategy as an organization. And you need to have some very sound thinking behind designing your data strategy. So we are under the same uh, sort of group of prerequisites for AI. The second point under this group is to do with internet cables, communication cables. Um, it's, it's something which we never think about it. Uh, we take for granted the fact that we have broadband to our desks and we take for granted that we go shopping in a super mall and we swipe our cards and we paid or we swipe our iPhone and we've paid and we go about our lives. What we don't think about or we, we don't even consider because we take everything for granted, this level of connectivity is the, the safety of internet cables, uh, which they connect continents and they run from different points, uh, land points to a different other points. So when these are severed, when they are attacked, when they are damaged, um, then we lose connectivity. So we can no longer have this call online uh, we can no longer have that Zoom call. We can no longer, as I said, record this podcast or go to a shopping mall and swipe that iPhone. Because without internet cables, all of the entire predicament of AI just stops. And it's something we, we need to think about. And I think these are big conversations. The internet cables are big conversations that probably rests a little bit in the in the geopolitics uh, realm. And um, so big, big conversations to be had and being mindful. When it comes to internet connectivity and geosecurity, I think it's one needs to think about 
what is our disaster recovery plan? If something happens with our internet connectivity, what is our backup plan? How are we going to run operations? Where is our data going to be stored? Uh, do we have it safe? Is it on-prem? Is it on cloud? What happens if we can't access the cloud? So again, it's part of the uh, disaster recovery planning, and it's absolutely important to do it. And that would be the third point under the prerequisites for AI. Uh, we want to have this plan in place because we want to plan for the unthinkable, because that's that makes a good sound uh, risk management, no? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks for that. And, you know, I would certainly say that um, in terms of your data strategy and this idea of redefining cyber attacks and redefining what security looks like or will look like or needs to look like and really considering DR, uh, as you had mentioned, disaster recovery, you know, compliance, audibility, audit ability, uh, privacy, security, um, you know, all of that's going to be amplified. And, you know, of course, it's going to be a cat and mouse game again, like it always has been in terms of, you know, cybersecurity, right? But I, I think the whole game is just going to be amplified. And there's a lot there in the context of IT in general and, and also in terms of ERP systems. Um, so great, uh, great insight there. All right. Well, Clara, it's been a fun conversation here. And before I let you go, I do want to ask you one more question. Uh, and it's probably my favorite question. And that is, what is your golden nugget of advice for our listeners based on today's conversation? How would you distill today's conversation and the message that you would like to leave with our listeners down to just, you know, down to a paragraph, what would you offer up? I think I'm going to just reiterate what I, what I mentioned earlier, because it's true to me, it's that one golden nugget. It's the North star. It's the crux of the entire conversation uh, around AI. And that goes like this. If I know what I know, now about this technology. Do I want my family subjected to it? So I think that's the most valuable marker one can, can use to be able to recalibrate them and make decisions around procurement, deployment, maintaining uh, the systems, creating them. So it's like a big, um, it's a simple conversation and, and yet it's so complicated, but I think it encapsulates yeah all the concerns we need to think about when when we deploy this technology. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. And so as, as we wrap up today's episode, let's quickly recap the key discoveries that we've made. And so we've looked at the ethical implications of AI and ERP systems. We explored how AI can drive innovation and growth, and we discussed the importance of AI governance and risk management. And today, Clara provided valuable insights that can help private equity firms and their portfolio companies and their stakeholders navigate AI and its impact on ERP and business systems or its potential impact. And I would say, uh, Clara, one of the things I've learned from your message today is this idea of, I think, organizations and private equity firms and their portfolio companies is start now. 
be proactive. You know, think about your principles, whether it's in the context of the business or from a consumer perspective, but really start thinking about your principles and develop that framework for AI adoption and be very deliberate about it. And then think about whether it's legal or regulatory or governmental compliance. You know, how does that impact your business? And and also consider some of the ideas that you shared in terms of security and, and redefining cyber attacks and protecting your business information and your business intelligence. What does that look like? How is it going to change? How can you be proactive? And so, you know, I think that, um, you know, private equity firms and their portfolio companies, you know, working with you and, and your team and your organization uh, is is really, uh, you know, is a way to get to be proactive. Right. And I, I think that's part of the key here. You know, I think it's not to bury your head in the sand and and really not think about it until it's too late because it's coming. You know, and there there's questions there as far as what it's going to look like, how it's going to impact the business, how it's going to impact business processes, you know, how it's going to change the way that we do business. But I think that now is the time to really start thinking about it and putting those principles in that framework into play. I think it's uh, it's future proofing for investors, exactly. for the private yeah. private equity community. Uh, it's just that's the way to uh, to future proof their investments and protect their their business interests. Absolutely. Well, listeners, take these insights and implement them in your ERP organizational change processes. Uh, the listen and learn approach is essential, but it's when you apply what you've learned that you truly begin to move the needle forward. With that said, thank you so much for your time today, Clara. Um, I really appreciate it. I appreciate your dedication to your trade and to your practice. And um, But before we go, can you share with our listeners, how, how can they get in touch with you? I think the, the easiest way is LinkedIn, Clara Derodi, my name, or my website, clara-derodi.com. Um, it's easy. Just Google me and you'll find everything about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, super. And we will absolutely be sure to share out that information uh, in our, our show notes as well. All right, Clara. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. Be well. And, uh, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the ERP OCJ podcast. This podcast is intended as a forum to study, share, and discuss ERP organizational change successes and challenges. We discuss the people, process, and technological components of ERP organizational change by drawing on knowledge from extensive research, collaborative learning, and practitioner expertise and experience. We are incredibly grateful to have friends, colleagues, and mentors join us in our podcast as we seek to promote, connect, and foster relationships in the ERP organizational change community and contribute to its success by bringing research and practice closer together. We want to make sure this is the most useful and insightful ERP podcast you listen to, and we'd love your help in doing so by leaving us feedback and a review. A great place to do so is at Apple Podcasts. Just click on the Listen in Apple Podcasts link, then click Ratings and Reviews, and let us know your thoughts. You can get more info about the show, including show notes and episode highlights for this and all of our episodes by visiting nestleandassociates.com and clicking the podcast option. 
Please join us again next week as we discuss the latest ERP organizational change research, practice, and stories. And don't forget to follow us on social media, hashtag the ERPOCJ. Thanks again for listening. Have a fantastic week.